ASMR is kind of creepy, but this isn't an ASMR podcast. Um, so, this is episode one of Stay. Um, and this will be my, sort of my episode. Um, yeah, we're already going. <laughs> um, I, I was told that, or not told, but like indirectly told that you just start it while you're talking. And cool. then you just go. All right, let's go then. Um, so this is episode one of Stay. Um, we are recording this in our bedroom surrounded by as many soft things as we can find because <laughs> we want to create as good of an audio experience for you guys. Um, the budget of zero dollars that we have. <laughs> um, so a little bit further past the intro that hopefully you've read or the trailer, um, this is something that I've been kind of thinking about doing for a while, never really had the motivation as a lot of us can probably, you know, relate to of just like not being in the mood to, you know, put myself out there. Um, but, and precursor, I'm a little bit sick. I have cough drops on standby, but I'm a little bit sick, so I'm sorry that my voice is going to kind of change as you listen to these. Um, anyway, this is, this is my episode. And we're going to kind of talk about my story. I'm Dugan. Um, and this is my wife, Jessica. Okay. <laughs> and uh, she'll kind of ask me some questions, but mostly this is just going to be me talking about my story. Um, we're going to do all of these different episodes on kind of a, um, what do you call it? Like an interview type yeah. situation so that like we ask them questions kind of so that you guys can hear just like you're sitting in the room with us. And so I will tell you this, like, you're sitting in the room with me. Um, so my life is, or at least was kind of just, you know, any regular kid's life. Um, the only really kind of stand out thing is that my father and my younger sister uh, both were diagnosed with epilepsy. My father had it since he was 12 years old. Um, or maybe it was 18, one of the two, I think it was, I think it was 12, I think it was 12 years old, um, because <clears throat> he never had, never had his license until he was on his mission, so yeah, it was definitely 12 years old, mm. um, so if you don't know what epilepsy is, it's kind of, the easiest way to describe it is, it's like a computer, like your brain is a big computer, and it goes into, like, a restart, and the seizure is the restart. And then once they come out of the seizure, that's like them booting back up. They're booting back up their brain computer. Um, and so that's, you don't really need to know a lot about epilepsy to know what kind of like my life story kind of situation is. But uh, I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a super brief uh, guess as to what I say when I mean, you know, seizures or epilepsy or things like that. Epilepsy is the medical diagnosis of having seizures for, you know, any different kind of reason. And both my father had it and my sister had it passed down to her by him. Um, and luckily I haven't gotten it and neither has my younger brother. Um, so my farthest back recognizable, you know, moments of depression were roughly when I was about 10 years old. 
So I grew up, um, I'm three years older than my little sister. So when I was 10 years old, she was seven years old. Um, and her name was Lindsay. She's been, uh, she had passed away in 2010, which is 10 years ago now. And it kind of sounds weird to, you know, say 10 years. It's like, <laughs> wow, that was a really long time ago, but it doesn't really feel like it. Um, but I don't know. It never really feels like she's all that gone. If, right. If you know what I mean. Um, so when I was growing up, I was always, you know, her protector her you know i protected my little sister and i watched over her and part of that was you know if she had a seizure i knew what to do i was taught since you know she started having seizures how to take care of her if she had seizures if we were playing together and she had a seizure i knew what to do you know you call for the parents you do this you do that i would turn her on her side and just be like hey Lindsay, you know it's not let's kind of get on a train of thought here she would have a seizure and i would be there for her you know no matter what it was it was my job to be there for her it was her big brother and uh sorry i'm finishing chewing my cough drop <laughs> the uh the big thing for me was like being being there was like something that i was proud of and everybody was like man you're you're doing a really good job you know taking care of your little sister and i was always super proud of that um and that could have been something you know like the bigger I was, the harder I fell, because <laughs> just like I got built up by people a lot, and obviously, you know, that's never a bad thing. But I mean, you know, things have consequences, good or bad. You may have done a good thing, but it could have a bad consequence. Anyway, kind of long rambling story short, it was my job to protect my sister as much as you know I could, um, and then one day. When I was 10 years old, she was seven, we were, we had my grandfather over for, uh, I think it was some sort of holiday, or maybe he was just visiting for like a week or a weekend or something like that. He was visiting from Arkansas. Uh, we live in Utah. And uh, we were, so both me and my sister were in elementary school, and we had to do, maybe you recognize this thing out there, I don't know how school goes in other parts of you know, the United States slash world slash wherever in the world you are. Um, but in elementary school, in our grade school, we would um, have to read for 20 minutes every night. You know, you pick a book, you read for 20 minutes, you know, you, know, you mark it off on this weird little like weekly calendar. And then you give it in every week for points. Um, so I was doing my, you know, nightly reading of 20 minutes. You know, I was laying in my bunk bed and uh, my father and my grandfather were downstairs uh having a little bit of a heated conversation. And so during this heated conversation of theirs, I'm completely oblivious to it. I'm up reading my book. I'm on the third floor of the house. And Lindsay goes to my father and my grandfather and is like, hey, you guys need to stop fighting. She was just this like golden hearted, just little stallion of a girl. And she was just like, hey, you guys need to stop fighting. Don't be jerks to each other. And my dad was like, it's okay. Just go upstairs and get ready for bed. You know, it's it's just fine. We're just having a conversation. Don't You don't need to worry about it. She's like, yeah, whatever, okay. And so she goes upstairs. She starts getting ready for bed. Um, and I see her walk past uh, my room to the bathroom. Um, she runs herself a bath. She's getting ready for bed. I didn't really think anything of it. Um, 
personally, I'm a little bit religious. More than a little bit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at this point was when I was told by something, believe whatever it is, you know, this isn't me trying to convert anybody, but I was told by something, whatever you think that something is, that I needed to go check on my sister, be it intuition, be it something else. I was told, you need to go check on Lindsay. And I said, in my little 10-year-old brain, what the heck? I don't want to go check on my sister while she's in the bathroom. That's super weird. Why would I do that? And then I kept reading. And then a little bit of time goes by. I don't really know how much. And then I said, hey, it's probably going to be a good idea if you go check on your sister. And me in my head again was like, um, I don't think so. I think she's fine. I think she can handle getting ready for bed. I'm not that worried about her. And then... A little bit more time goes by, and I was told very, very uh, specifically, you need to go check on Lindsay. And I said, you know what, whatever, okay. I specifically remember, like, getting up out of bed, tossing my book back onto my bed, and being like, fine, whatever, you know what, I'll go. And so I go, I open the door super slowly. Um, I kind of knock a little bit. I was like, hey, Lindsay, you know, are you okay? Um, and... I didn't get a response, and so as I didn't get that response, I knock again, and I kind of push the door open a little bit farther, and I was like, hey, Lindsay, are you okay? And as I creak the door open a little bit, I could see through the mirror into the bathtub where she was laying under the water, and the water was just still over her, and immediately, like, just somebody flipping a little light switch, my little 10-year-old brain went, oh, Let's, it's just save Lindsay from her seizure again. And so I yelled for my dad, hey, dad, Lindsay had a seizure in the bathtub. And I went over and I did my best to pull her out. And unfortunately for my brain, this is where things kind of get bad. <laughs> um, I went over and I tried to pull her out of the tub. And I was just, you know, 10-year-old me was not strong enough to lift 7-year-old Lindsay. And ever since then, it's just haunted me. I have nightmares all the time of me not being strong enough to save somebody. Whether that's myself, whether that's people I love, whether that's my friends, whether that's my wife. It's kind of a reoccurring nightmare that I get now of you're not strong enough you can't do it, and it's all your fault, and if you were strong enough, you could have done it, and it took me a while to get over that, and try to, you know, not let that bother me, um, you can't pin that kind of stuff, you know, whenever I meet a little 10-year-old, I couldn't imagine pinning the death of their sibling on them, especially not in a situation like this, but of course, that's where my broken, broken mind goes. So I go and I try to lift Lindsay out of the bathtub. And I realize that I'm not going to be able to get her out of the bathtub. So I just am trying to keep her slippery little body out of the water and, or at least get her head out of the water. And while I'm trying to hold her out or hold her head up and just try to get her out of the water, at least a little bit, um, my dad comes running in and he takes her out of my arms. And then I go running downstairs, and I picked up our old wireless home phone. 
and uh, <laughs> dial and I start dialing my mom's phone number. So old. And <laughs> and as I start dialing my mom's phone number, I was like, "Oh, what are you doing, dummy?" And so I hang it up, and then I pick it up again, and then I start dialing my uh, or nine one one. And I dial 911. This isn't the first time I've ever done this. Probably getting up into like the sixth or seventh time I've done this, just in that house. And I said, hey, my little sister had a seizure in the bathtub. Um, this is our address. Um, this is what's going on. My dad is trying to give her CPR. And the lady on the phone said, okay, uh, give the phone to your dad so that we can uh, instruct him on CPR. And I did, I went, I unlocked the uh, front door and opened it up and waved to the EMTs as they showed up. Um, the EMTs came, they tried to get my sister in kind of a working condition and it just wasn't quite working. Um, and so they said, we're going to need to life flight her out of here. So for anybody who doesn't know what life flight is, life flight is where they need to get a patient or somebody who's in pretty bad shape out as quickly as possible. And the quickest way to do that is by helicopter. <laughs> you don't have to deal with roads. You don't have to deal with traffic. You don't have to get her into the ambulance and this, that, the other. You put her in the helicopter and you take her to the, uh, the hospital from there. And that's what they did. They landed across the street in my neighbor's backyard, which was super accessible. Um, to our house. They didn't have to like go through the gate into my neighbor's backyard. Like they just landed in our neighbor's backyard right across the street. And uh, which would essentially, if you can imagine, it's like if you have a house across the street from yours, they pretty much landed in the front yard of that house. Effectively. It was the backyard of this house, but they landed in the front yard pretty much. Um, and they said, all right, we're taking her. You guys can come with us. Um, whenever you get there. And I think my dad might have ridden with her. I don't remember for sure, but she took off in life flight. I stayed at the neighbor's house for a little bit until I went to stay at my grandparents' house. Um, because you got to remember I'm a little 10 year old kid. They don't really want him at the hospital while his sister is probably about to die. <laughs> um, so you that must have been a weird, you know, knock on the door for my neighbors in the middle of the night, right? Like, hey, little ten-year-old um, kid, hey, my, my, uh... yeah, <laughs> my, my sister is uh, at the hospital, and my parents left. Can you, uh... can you well, watch me? My dad for a left. Couple my hours. mom worked nights, she, so she had no idea at this point. That was a phone call that I'm sure my dad did not want to make. Oof, yeah. Um. Anyway, so sort of a long process kind of made short here um she was in the hospital for three days um they did plenty of tests all sorts of stuff they did their best um i have no doubt about it everybody i mean at least in my little 10 year old mind you know like everybody did their best um from the emts they were doing their best to like comfort me I still remember one of them was just like, hey, she's going to be just fine. You know, you don't need to worry about it. And I was like, yeah, I know. You know, this happens all the time. Don't worry about it. And I <laughs> yeah. was just this cool little 10-year-old. And then, like, there was a nurse, um, and she was super sweet. And she, like, gave me a note. And she was just like, hey, Lindsay's doing really good. Um, 
and like I don't know if she was super awesome and they like I remember so I don't even know if I've told you this probably but not they uh so like some of the like nursing staff brought me like an xbox <laughs> they just like had an xbox on a cart with like a tv on it mm-hmm. and they were just like hey do you want to you want to because like I had been there for like a day and a half right they were just like hey you want to like play some video games or something and I was just like yeah I want to play some video games you know whatever <laughs> so I like went into this other like hospital room and I was like trying to play video games but it didn't really last for very long something I do remember doing in the hospital is being this <laughs> being this dumb little kid I I think I definitely haven't told you this but what I did to like kind of pass the time during these like three days is I would take a penny and I would go to one end of the hallway mm-hmm. and like my parents are sitting like in the hallway or in her room or you know wherever I would go to one end of the hallway and I would roll the penny and see how far I could get it <laughs> like all the way across this hospital like this is a long hallway, it's a long hallway. and like I would <laughs> just like roll this thing and be like oh 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 like could i get it to the other end it was so awesome i think my grandma was doing it with me like being the mischievous grandma that's just like hey hey, hey, do this (laughs) um so after those three days um they did a test on her as far as i can remember i could get this wrong but what they did is they deprived the brain of oxygen for two minutes and 30 seconds three minutes somewhere around there Two and a half, three minutes, I'm not really sure. But, so they deprive the brain of oxygen in order to kick in, like, a natural response of the brain is not getting oxygen, so I need to get the brain oxygen. And if the brain doesn't respond to that gap, it comes up as, the, the patient is brain dead at that point. The brain is no longer alive. And so they did that, she didn't respond, and she was pronounced brain dead. We then went into this little room off to the side and got asked if we would like to donate her organs. And we, of course, we were just like, yes, of course you can take them. You know, we're, (laughs) I still remember my dad in his super blunt way of talking was like, yeah, she ain't using them. Yeah, your dad. Uh, Anyway, so we gave, or she gave, I guess, uh, the lenses of her eyes to a middle-aged man, maybe kind of middle to late-aged man, um, <clears throat> and a heart to a little boy, and I'm not sure what else she gave. There was a couple of other things. I feel like she gave, like, her kidneys or something like that, but I don't quite remember. I just, I know she gave up her heart, and I know she gave up the lenses of her eyes, which it was super cool to, you know, interact with all those people. I do not envy the lady whose job it is to like, hey, I know that yeah. your daughter just died, but hey, can we uh, take all of her yeah, organs? Yeah, can we take her eyeballs? <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of ghoulish, but yeah, that'd be kind of a bad. It's kind of an interesting job. job. How yeah. do you end up in that job? What kind of degree do you need to get for that? Ugh. Okay, so after that is a couple of great things that we did. Um, at least I feel like they were great. Maybe somebody out there is just like, meh, 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 but, you know, whatever. Uh, what we did after that is we had a hole in our family, and we didn't really know what we wanted to do. We didn't just want to, like, sit there and let everything happen to us, um, and we couldn't decide, you know, where we needed to go. What is our next step? Are we just going to give up? Are we going to sit around and be sad all the time? Are we going to move on and forget about it? 
But what we ended up doing is we ended up starting a nonprofit called uh, Laps for Lindsay. And what we did is we would go or we went to this camp, this activity camp for like disabled people or like differently abled, I guess. All sorts of different people. They do like the Wounded Warrior Project and a bunch of other uh, different like activities there for people who don't have like perfectly working bodies. They would do this week where they would invite a bunch of people who have epilepsy um, to come and do things that they couldn't normally do because they don't have that kind of supervision or like they couldn't afford it. Um, so what we did is we went to this camp and we said, hey, we want to pay to have some kids go. Will you introduce us to some kids? We want to pay to have them go. And they said, yeah, of course. You know, then they got us in contact with some people and we did what's called laps for Lindsay where people would come to... Uh, my dad works at a university, and so people would go to that university. They would walk around the track. You know, you pay to get in. You walk around the track, and it's like one of those fun runs for breast cancer awareness or something like that. But it was for epilepsy, and it was called Laps for Lindsay. We would play all her favorite music over the loudspeaker. We used the Jumbotron to, like, put up pictures of her for the whole time. And we would do a raffle, and it was so incredible to see all of the gifts and donations that people would give in order to you know just like give back to this to this like event that we were doing you know it was just like five or six of us putting this together and we would go to like lifetime goods to different restaurants to adventure like parks if that makes sense or like adventure I don't even know what I'm trying to, like, put together. Like, people will take you on, like, trips and things like that. Like, we had a trip to Alaska where you'd, like, go and stay, stay in, like, a snow. Where you'd go and stay in, like, a snow bungalow or something like that. And, like, it was, we had so many donations and things like that. And people would go and they would raffle. Well, they would technically buy a piece of candy, but they would get a ticket along with that piece of candy because gambling is illegal in Utah. Um, they would take that piece of candy and they, or that they would take that ticket that they got with the piece of candy that they bought and they would put it in this bin and, you know, we draw somebody out and they win. Anyway, we raised like, it was like $14,000 during like this one year. And we were just like, uh, Hey, so we can pay to put together this entire camp if you want. And they were just like, yeah, of course. So we pay to get a bunch of kids into the camp and, you know, we go and we volunteer with them and meet them and, you know, listen to all their stories and all of the things that they go through every day. And everybody is really, really similar and everybody goes through, you know, the same kind of issues and everybody's lives, everybody's lives are different, of course, but there are a lot of similarities. Everybody, depression is a thing because a lot of people go through it suicidal thoughts or a thing because a lot of people go through it. Anyway, this is, you know, I don't want to make this go too long. And I know I'm definitely not the most captivating speaker. I'm just some random weirdo. But <laughs> what I wanted to kind of point out by saying all of this is, at least this is kind of my story where I came from. That was kind of the big event that happened in my life 
that led me to have, you know, depression and ultimately, unfortunately, several times along my life in times that I've kind of pushed out of my head, whether for good or for bad, um, it has led me to, you know, consider killing myself. And I'm not ashamed of that because I'm still here. And that's because I've chosen to still be here. I've, I've chosen to stay. And as kind of an introductory episode to all of this, I want to talk to people about why they choose to stay every day. I choose to stay personally. I think, you know what, we're going to do that at the very end. We'll just like list off the reasons that we choose to stay at the very, very end. I like that. I like that idea. I feel like this should be part one of your story. Part one. Yeah, because your story is really, like you didn't even get into like, all of the stuff that you went to as an adolescent. Yeah, I know. I mean, I could go through it. What are we... We're only at 25 minutes. Yeah, I can get into it. Um, it wasn't a... Because, like, like, I feel like Lindsay was the catalyst. Yeah. And of, like, your self-doubt and, like, self-loathing. Um... And then I also just feel like your your childhood, like growing up, and it wasn't bad, but it just like wasn't helpful. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> like, um. <laughs> like, yeah, like I don't know. I don't feel like your parents are bad people, or that. I mean, obviously, I feel like everyone's parents do something that causes them trauma, yeah. but at the same time, like. You didn't have a bad childhood. It was just like that was an event that like rocked your family, and then you yeah. kind of just like never recovered from it. Yeah, never really like like any of you. I don't feel like there was no up trend. Yeah, there. Um. So, I guess the best way to kind of segue into the rest of it is that that kind of threw my family for a loop, pretty understandably. <laughs> um. My mom and dad, I don't really know how well they've handled it. Um, Obviously, they're not, you know, doing horrible. They've got a good house, good jobs, this, that, the other. You know, they've handled it well in every sense of what I can say. Every sense of I lost my daughter. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's it's not like they're crumpled up in heaps on the floor crying. Yeah. Um, I think... They handled it to the best of their ability yeah. for for absolutely certain like there there was nothing that they could have done extra no. to be like, "Oh, you could have done this better and done that better, yeah, anyway, so just like Jessica mentioned that was that was definitely a catalyst of uh kind of creating the life that I lived afterward, so I guess the real things that really pushed me to be you know depressed and ultimately suicidal and still still to this day uh i have been and am suicidal um does that mean that i'm going to commit suicide no does that mean that i want to commit suicide no does that mean that i have thought about committing suicide yes does that mean that my brain goes to suicide first yes it does but that's okay you know we we live with these things. So I think a really good place to start is is with my parents. 
my dad is kind of the biggest reason that kind of drove me to where I am mentally. Um, definitely very firm father. Definitely you know where he stands on particular issues. Um, but you don't know where he stands any given day. You know, one day he could be super happy, jovial, your best friend, this, that, the other. And then the next day you could cross paths with him and not want to exist. It's just he was all over the place. He wasn't bipolar. He just, <laughs> he is his own enigma of issues. And yeah, I mean, I, he didn't have a great yeah, childhood Yeah, he was definitely either, brought you know? up very poorly. He yeah. did... I will never say that, you know, everything is his complete fault, but that also does not mean that he is faultless. Yeah. Uh, he did vastly, vastly better than his father, and he's put me on a place where I can do vastly better than him. So I respect him a great deal. I still have a good relationship with my father today, as well as my mother, as well as pretty much everybody on my family's yeah, I don't really have any poor relationships no, with everybody. It's, everybody on my dad's side of the family, we just don't talk to because they're in their own world of drugs and infidelity. And they're in their own world of just, and you don't want to be a part of it because <laughs> it's just not a good influence. Anyway, so my dad was kind of rough, um, pretty verbally abusive, pretty, pretty. He was pretty manipulative, and he was very rude at times. Um, and, like, I definitely grew a thick skin. I don't want any, you know, like, sympathy for this. I know that people get told these kinds of things, and even compared to, you know, Jessica, I had a miracle of a family. <laughs> in comparison but like at least from my point of view you know we can talk about that later but like <laughs> from my point of view <laughs> i would have preferred my family over <laughs> the mess that she was she was unfortunate enough to grow up in yeah and, and i feel like i don't know like our families are really different in in like good and bad ways yeah for sure <laughs> like there's good things that my family did that like your family did it and then there's good things that your family did that my family didn't yeah exactly so. i think i think you're definitely right okay mm. so when like during your adolescence you know like we talked about your dad um and kind of how like he was really stern and stuff and yeah. so do you feel like that like broke your self-esteem or like like how did that make you feel about yourself as like a person um i think I think the biggest thing having to do with my dad is, and you've been going through this in school, and I think you mentioned it, and you'll probably be able to, you know, explain it very yeah. but I developed this, like, dependence on my dad's, um, like, uh, what do you approval. call it? Like, yeah, like his approval. Yeah. His, I needed to know that he was proud of me, and I needed to, like, I remember specifically all of the times that he said that he is proud of me. One time was when I became an Eagle Scout for the Boy Scouts of America. Another time he told me, um, it was like after I got my first full-time job. And like 
like one or two more times he told me like standing in the front room while he just babbled on about something dumb that I didn't really care about but and like he totally understands this so it, when he inevitably listens to this episode <laughs> hi dad thank you <laughs> you and I both know that we didn't enjoy those talks but you know we got through <laughs> that's kind of an interesting thought that like everybody could listen to these and that's kind of cool yeah maybe not let's not do that yeah. <laughs> it's anyway until your parents were doing a podcast sure, right <laughs> um um, so when I would like kind of strive for that, you know, approval from him and not get it or do my best on something and still have him come down on me or feel like I'm doing, you know, really well in like school or this or that or the other and then like be rejected, it just kind of like dulled my desire to be good and it especially dulled my self-worth. Like, whenever I felt like I did something good the moral compass that I had developed of my father had said that I didn't do something good or I did something poorly and whether he did that on purpose or not you know I don't know I don't really care it doesn't matter um but you know that was a dependency that I grew to have because I admired him so much and because you know I wanted to be like him at some point since my early teenage years that went away and I started doing what he would tell me of uh, take everything that he does good and use it in my own life and take everything that he doesn't do good and don't and I've definitely done my best to kind of point those all out unfortunately that makes me kind of pessimistic towards him I guess is the best way to put that but either way um you know that's that's just how it kind of shook out uh, something that i do want to touch on here is uh i think we've kind of flushed out the relationship that i have with my dad or had with my dad the relationship i have with my dad now is really good he's still a very particular person he's still <laughs> his own kind of sarcasm and mockery but I still love him for it, and I still talk to him when I need advice, and I still trust him, and I'm still proud that he's my dad. The Something that I do want to go through is uh, the relationship with that I had and the personality of my mom. Um, my mom, at some times, was a stark black and white contrast to my father. At some points, she was, you know, my friend when he's going off on his, you know, tangent of being angry. And at some points, she was a very similar version, just a female version of him. Sometimes she was an excellent mom. Sometimes she was less of an excellent mom. But luckily for me, she was, she did a good enough job that her goods far outweighed the bads. Um... Maybe this is just how I was raised. Maybe this is something that I don't really have that much insight into. But I can't really think too poorly of my mom. When she was around, I loved her and I appreciated her. She would talk to me about specific things. You know, she was a good balance to my father. Um, but unfortunately, she worked nights for the majority of my life. And so she had, so she worked four tens 
on the night shift. And so I would only see her Thursday, Friday, Saturday after school if I wanted to be around her. And so I never really had a great relationship with either of them. Um, not purely out of choice. At some point it did become out of choice. But, you know, it wasn't, you know, this huge, great relationship, unfortunately. Sometimes I wish it was different, but most of the time I'm okay with how everything turned out. You know, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy with my wife and I'm happy with the relationship that we have now. Of course, you know, it could be better, but it also could be worse. So I don't think that I would really change anything. <laughs> but that being said, you know, this is, this is the story of, you know, my life. And I guess this could almost be like a weird across the globe audio journal. You ever think about that? Like, this is a, like, big summation. I mean, you're missing a lot, but, like, a big summation of, like, this is Dugan's life. And then episode two, this is Jessica's life. And, <laughs> you know, like, we can go from there and have people from all across the globe. Ah, I have so many ideas for this. So we're going to kind of bring this episode to a close here. Um, if I talk too fast, I want to hear about it. If I have an annoying voice and I sound like I'm sick and I have a stuffy nose, I want to hear about it. If you don't care for the podcast at all, I still want to hear about it. I, I want to hear everybody's opinions. I want to hear what people think. If you want to be a part of the podcast, if you feel like, you know, if you relate to any of this, you can be a part of this podcast. There are two people that have been a part of this podcast. There are four people that know about this podcast and like we are we're going up from here and I guess we can kind of talk about it now I want to have a space where people feel like they can find a community not for support particularly you know this isn't a support group this isn't a suicide hotline this is I feel a particular way, and so do these people. And these people are willing to talk about it. Unfortunately, and I feel like I am not a broken record, but I feel like I'm repeating so many people when I say it, that mental health is a really big problem. And it's something that we don't quite understand. Yeah. You know, the last frontiers are Alaska, I guess, space, deep sea you know, unexplored ocean and the human brain. Yeah. You know, we're, we're reaching out so far outside of ourselves when we still don't quite understand our own brains. And anyway, I want this to be a place where you can come, you can listen to somebody else's story, maybe learn something, maybe learn a coping mechanism, maybe this, that, or the other. I'm not going to pretend to be a counselor. I'm not going to pretend to care about doing counseling i just want a space where i can talk to people who think like me and where i can talk to people who are willing to say hey i've thought about killing myself and i don't like that <laughs> and i want to have a conversation with them and say hey i'm i'm glad you're here and let's talk about it and hey this is what i went through and i'm better for it and hey this and hey that and hey something else it's, this is going to kind of change and evolve and grow. And I'm really excited for all of it. 
and I'm excited to have everybody who listens. I'm excited to see the listener count and my estimated audience from, you know, the, the boys here at Anchor keeping track of all of that. Um, thank you for listening and thank you for, you know, if you got this far and you read or read, if you listened to the whole thing, thank you so much for, for putting up with my voice and for putting up with, you know, me rambling on and my bad editing and my first podcast episode ever. Um, thank you for being a part of this and I would love to hear from you guys. So this is something that I'm thinking about doing for every close of each episode is whoever this episode is focused on is going to list off the reasons that they choose to stay every single day Um, because it's a constant fight and whether it's for us whether it's for someone else or whether it's for themselves in the future we want to know why we choose to stay So I choose to stay for my wife. I choose to stay to see her smile every morning. And I choose to stay to support her. I choose to stay for my family because I care about them and because I want to take care of them in the future. And God only knows that my parents don't need to lose another one. (laughs) I choose to stay for myself because I owe it to myself to see these things through. You know, God has put me through these tough situations and these hard places because I have, I have things to do. I have people to talk to and I have work to get done. I choose to stay, speaking of God, I choose to stay for my God because he's done so much to take care of me. Regardless of the things that I've gone through, he takes care of me each and every day and I owe it to him to to see it through. And I think lastly, I choose to stay for the people that I get to interact with, whether that's friends or strangers or my family you know whoever it is I choose to stay for them because I want to be you know going back to my childhood I want to be that hero for people I want to be maybe this sounds pretty selfish but I want to be the reason that somebody says hey I was in a bad place and and you helped me out of it you know, I don't want to get paid for it. I don't want to this, that, the other. I just want to be a part of somebody's life and be a reason that they choose to stay. Because sometimes reasons are pretty few and far between. And I think that's just about it. Uh, you have anything to add to any of this? I don't think so. I feel like we covered most of it. <laughs> thank you all for listening. Thank you for thank you again. I if you're if there is anybody who gets to the end of this episode and Congrats, says, Wow, I want homie, to you listen to episode two, I will be pretty <laughs> ecstatic. Um 
we're thinking about setting up a Discord in the future. It's not set in stone. It's just, hey, here's a place that everybody can come talk if everybody ever ends up existing. I don't know. Anyway, thank you again. And whatever time of day it is for you, have an excellent morning. Have an excellent afternoon. Have an excellent evening. Thank you for listening.